Hello, and welcome back to Favorite Things with Mark. Uh, this week, we're going to be uh, studying the man with the golden gun with mm. my man with the golden notes. Um, <laughs> so, before we get into our deep dive, what did you think about this one? Um, I feel like there were some cheesy parts, for sure. It's a Roger Moore Bond yeah. movie that's going to be par for the course. Yes. It was good. I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to remember it. I always like when you start reading your notes because then I'm like, oh yeah, this is how it happened. Because, you know, once I've slept, I forget movies. So, <laughs> um, but I remember, I liked it. I kept getting distracted while I was watching it. So, I was in the middle of baking a cake while we were watching it. So, yep. I had to keep getting it to get it out of the oven and stuff. So, all right. I was a little distracted to completely pay attention. That's all right. So, this is... This is one I really enjoy. I enjoy it because it's kind of ridiculous. So much yeah. so that I have a t-shirt uh, designed by Matt Gorley um, on the James Bonding podcast uh, out of the film's opening line. Yes. I'll uh, share that in an Instagram post uh, around the time this episode goes to uh, goes live. Yes. So It was a gift I got you for Christmas. Or was yeah. it your birthday? I don't remember which. It was somewhere in there. One of those they're close together. But regardless, uh, this this is one that it's a boatload of contradictions as far as being a Bond movie and really what they wanted. Even internally, there was a lot of conflict. This this film apparently behind the scenes led to some sort of falling out between the producers to the point where Albert Broccoli bought out uh, Harry Saltzman. Uh, it's rumored that uh, he had become very deep in debt uh, and just he needed a bailout to mm. to not, you know, go to jail or end up in poverty. Wow. And so uh, one of the two producers who's been with the Bond franchise up until this point won't be after this film. Uh, the story goes that he... Uh, had an idea at one point for an elephant stampede uh, in the film. An elephant stampede. An elephant stampede. And uh, bought uh, several hundred pairs of shoes for elephants because you can't just have elephants run right. uh, in a film. Believe it or not, the cruelty to animals notwithstanding in any of their other films. <laughs> uh, Alligators. <laughs> yeah, you you can't do that to elephants, and so they need a special type of shoes to run, especially in the environments they were going to be running in. Mm -hmm. And so Harry Saltzman bought the shoes without telling uh, Cubby Broccoli, uh, and all of a sudden, all these shoes show up to set after they've decided they're not doing the sequence. Oh no! And so they had a, a ton of elephant shoes and nothing to do with them. What did they end up? Did they just go to waste, or did they oh, sell yeah. them off to somebody else? Oh, it, it was a waste. Uh, this is, uh, and it probably contributed partially, not hugely, to this being the lowest-grossing Bond film uh, at that point. Wow. Um, it's it it was it was the movie that almost killed the James Bond film franchise. Wow. But yeah, that's one of your favorites. Oh, I, I adore this film. I think it is far from the weakest James Bond film. I wouldn't even put it in the bottom five, maybe not in the bottom ten. Um, 
but it's it's not the best but it is far from the worst it for me this is an enjoyable ride from beginning to end yeah. and uh is there ridiculousness yes very yeah. much so uh the end battle of this movie is between uh, James Bond and a little person. Yes. And uh, it's <laughs> it's played uh, with some tension, but uh, for comic effect. Yes. And so it's... <laughs> yeah, you're a terrible person for laughing. Um, <laughs> but it's... Within this movie, it wouldn't fit in any of the others, but it fits in this one. And that's why I love it, is because this movie is so zany, so off the wall, that almost anything could could happen in this movie, and it works. Yeah. Whereas you'll you'll have movies that are some by some of the best filmmakers around. Yeah. Uh, best cinematography, and they will take a move out of left field, and it ruins the movie. Yeah. Uh, this isn't that movie uh, for me, anyhow. Uh, there is a, there is a moment that I, I'm incredulous about that we'll get to when we get to, but if it's what I'm already thinking, I was already thinking of it. It's okay, <laughs> but uh, this movie we'll go ahead and get into the plot. This movie yeah. starts off and lets you know what kind of movie it's going to be from the get go. From the beginning of the film, we are introduced to Maude Adams uh, sunbathing next to Christopher Lee. And as we close in on Christopher Lee, we see that he has a third nipple. <laughs> uh, so right off the bat, we you you know, yeah, you're in for a good time. Uh, and into this mix of characters comes Herve Villachais. I'm never entirely sure how to say his name, so uh -huh. if I say it differently each time, that's all right. It is okay. Um, so. Up to this point, you have these strange characters uh, walking around, and onto this island with these strange characters walks a stereotypical gangster. <laughs> Just literally steps out of Diamonds Are Forever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually one of the same actors. They have never clarified if it's the same character or not, okay. who has come to the island at the request of uh, Herve Biachai's, uh playing a character by the name of Nick Nack. The first line of dialogue spoken into this sequence of events is Knickknack Tabasco. <laughs> That's your favorite line of the whole movie, isn't it? Uh, it's spectacular for no other reason than why? Why? He is having cocktails on the beach. I, I'm not familiar with cocktails that call for Tabasco. If you are familiar with them, please send them to me, uh, either an email or a Pinterest, and I will try them out. Um, <laughs> but just the ridiculousness of starting the movie this way. Yes. And knickknack. Uh, carries over to who we find out is Scaramanga, uh, played by Christopher Lee, uh, carries over the Tabasco on a silver platter. And he scurries back to the gangster, and we come to find out that Nick Knack has hired this gangster to kill uh, Scaramanga. Uh, we're not entirely sure why. Uh, we just know that he has hired this gangster. Now, we find out very quickly uh, that Christopher Lee is uh, Scaramanga is kind of in on it 
And so Scaramanga goes in, the gangster holds him at gunpoint. The the gangster thinks this is a simple hired hit. Mm-hmm. He's he's just there to kill a guy. What he doesn't realize is this is an exercise. And what proceeds to happen is they go throughout Scaramanga's hideout, which we find out is Walt Disney's wet dream. Um, (laughs) I I literally have in my notes, what is this house? Um, They're going through and there's a room that's like a gangster room. There's a room that's like the old West. There's a, there is a just weird Star Trek room (laughs) with a wax figure of, of Roger Moore as, uh, James Bond that looks like it came right out of Madame Toussaint. Um, <laughs> and so uh, they play this game of cat and mouse through this weird fun house type environment and uh, Christopher Lee shoots and kills the gangster. Uh, we find out that he's totally cool with Knickknack hiring uh, all sorts of weird people to come and kill him because it's fun. It's practice. And uh, he turns to the Roger Moore wax figure, which may or may not be Roger Moore in person, uh, shoots off its fingers, and then we go into the title song, The Man with the Golden Gun by Lulu. Can I make a confession? Yes. I thought Nick Knack's name was Nick Knack Tabasco. No. I, for this song, that I thought that was his name. I thought it was just a funny thing that he had the Tabasco. No, he's literally <laughs> no, he's literally calling for Tabasco. Tabasco. Somehow I never it never until you the way you just said it, I'm like, oh, that's not his name. His name is just Knickknack, which mm-hmm. is still funny because he's a little person. And so they named him Knickknack. You're still terrible. I'm not the one that named him Knickknack. No, you're not. But you laughed along with everyone else. And so are you, listener. You're terrible, too. <laughs> um, so, uh, we get through The Man with the Golden Gun, which is kind of, uh, it's a different tempo uh, for the, the Bond songs. After Live and Let Die, uh, which is kind of a rock ballad, we we get to uh, The Man with the Golden Gun that, again, is kind of, it's got some funk to it. It's mm-hmm. It's very, very different than any of the Connery Bond title sequences. Um, you will notice that after this movie, because of the loss of income, the the way the movie's received, the movies that come after this kind of move back into that Connery era of um, they're more melodic, they're more um, jazzy, um, as opposed to more rock-focused. And uh, we'll get into that next week. Ne- next week is is uh, two steps backwards, three steps forwards. Uh, the movie both progresses and regresses James Bond, and and I'll talk about that is next. Is it still week. Roger Moore? Yes. Okay. Um, but between uh, the Man with the Golden Gun and the Spy Who Loved Me, next week's movie, uh, three years passed. Now at the time the longest gap between Bond movies was two years. And that was even changing actors. Uh, For this, there's a three year gap. They didn't know if they were gonna do another one after this because it just, it wasn't making the kind of money that the others had made. Yeah. And so, 
Getting back into the movie itself, at this point, we actually meet the real Bond and M and everyone else. And someone asks Bond about the man with the golden gun. And Bond, as always, knows everything about whatever he's asked about. And if you're this person, stop. We know that you know. Just <laughs> shut up. Um, but he goes, uh, are you familiar with the man with the golden gun? 007. Uh, why, yes, sir. Uh, Scaramanga. He has a, a third nipple, uh, charges a million a hit, uses a golden bullet. <laughs> why, sir? Why do you ask? So pretentious. Um, uh-huh. But at this point, we're starting to wonder why Bond even goes to briefings, because he already knows everything. Yeah. Um, it's like he's got to educate the people who are tell- sending him out. And the audience. And because the audience. Because we need to have someone for Bond to sit across from to give all the exposition. Uh, Because it'd be weird if he just sat there on his own, spouting one way. It'd be like me on this podcast without you. When you respond occasionally, it sounds a lot less weird than if I just do it to the computer. (laughs) I get it, Bond. I get it. You need (laughs) him there to to spell out why you know everything. Anyhow, we come to find out that the reason Bond knows everything about uh, Scaramanga is that 002 Bill Fairbanks was killed uh, in Beirut, supposedly by the man with the golden gun. Uh, And so there's been a search for what actually happened. They haven't been able to verify that it was Scaramanga, the man with the golden gun, because they never found the bullet. This leads Bond on the journey over to Beirut, and we find out that the bullet was found by none other than the belly dancer that old Bill was shacking up with. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so Bond goes in and is trying to seduce the belly dancer and and get her, her charm, uh, her belly button ring, uh, that's been made out of the bullet that killed this man, which is kind of morbid, all things considered. Yeah. Um, She called it her lucky charm. Her lucky charm that blew a guy's head off. Um, (laughs) But uh, Bond goes in and he's trying to surreptitiously get the bullet away. And he's kissing the belly button ring when uh, thugs bust through the door and he swallows it. Um, Which was fun. Um, At this point, there's a good fight in the dressing room of the belly dancer. Uh, At a couple of points, we uh, go over to a mirror right before it's broken. You can see the entire film crew. I miss it. You blink and you miss it. Uh, If you look close enough, you can probably see craft services in the background. Uh, I believe they were having bologna that day. Uh, Bond uh, beats the thugs because he's Bond. uh, And it's either that or escape to beat the thugs later. Um, He asks a cabbie, they say, where do you want to go? He goes, I need the nearest pharmacy because he is going to go get the bullet back. nice way to put it. Yep. At this point, Bond goes over to Q Branch uh, and he's trying to figure out if there is any way to trace this bullet. It's an irregular uh, it's an irregular caliber. It's not really commonly used. Uh, Q's like, hey, we've been using irregular calibers in our firearms for ages. Anybody could have made this. At this point, they find out that uh a very special type of metal was used and it's and localized to Southeast Asia, uh, specifically 
over towards Macau and there's someone who specializes in this in that region, which is very convenient after pretending like there was no way they were going to be able to trace this. <laughs> uh, so Bond makes a trip over to Macau, which is absolutely gorgeous and post COVID, I cannot wait to visit. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he goes into the arms dealer's office, finds that he has made a custom rifle for a man without a trigger finger or thumb. Um, and so there's no trigger on the gun. It uh, uses the stock of uh, the butt of the stock as a trigger. So you pull against your shoulder and it fires. And uh, Bond uses this rifle to threaten the arms dealer. Uh, into giving him uh, the meeting location for where the bullets are going to be picked up for Scaramanga. Uh, at this point, we go to a casino where we see some uh, basket gambling. Uh, and yeah, that was interesting. I've never even heard of that So before. it is a real thing. Uh, I actually looked it up, forgot the name of the game, but uh, it's a way to involve more people around the table. Uh, if you've ever noticed in casino scenes from any film or TV show, uh, the craps tables get really just hunched over and you yeah. can only have so many people in play at a time right. around the table. It's hard to keep track of, but in this particular type of casino by involving the baskets and betting that way and having a table dealer up and downstairs like balcony similar, uh, you're able to get more people involved in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, don't ask me how it works. I'm not in the games <laughs> commission. I don't know. But at this point, we are reintroduced to Maude Adams' character, which I will only ever refer to as Maude Adams because I always forget her character's name. Um, <laughs> uh, fun fact, this is her first of three Bond films. Okay. Uh, in one, she will be a leading lady, uh, and in another, a cameo. Uh, there are rumors that uh, Cubby Broccoli had a thing for her. Huh. But uh, Maude Adams picks up the bullet, Bond follows her, um, at this point, we're introduced to Britt Eklund as uh, Agent Goodnight, and uh, she's just the worst. Um, and Bond's like, geez, Goodnight, why'd you have to stop me from tracing the car? And she's like, well, what were you looking for? And he's like, a green Rolls Royce. And she's like, ha, 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 you're silly, James. They all go to this hotel, and he immediately does more uh, field work than she does in the entire film. Um, and I feel really bad for her. So another fun fact, uh, Britt Eklund and Maude Adams are both, uh, Swedish, I do believe. Yeah. Um, or Danish. They are from the Eastern European side of things. Yeah. Um, but I mean the, the, uh, what's her name? Western the, European. Britt Eklund. Like, I mean, She's got that white hair and blue eyes mm -hmm. and stuff, so she definitely looks Danish or Swedish or yeah. Uh, so she fits that profile. Um, reading up on some recent appearances by these two who still go to Bond conventions, uh, Maude Adams has aged very gracefully. Brett Britt Eklund, uh, less so. Um, ah. she, she did not get Jane Seymour's plastic surgeon. <laughs> um, but they find out that all the Green Rolls Royce. Uh, in this town uh, belong to a specific hotel and Bond tracks them back to find Maude Adams' room. And we will talk about that more when we come back.
And we're back. And Bond is up in Maud's room. He is moving in like a creep. Uh, <laughs> of course he is. Of I course. mean, she's showering. He comes in and he's he's carrying a bottle of champagne. He's like, oh, I've got the drop on old Maud. And she comes out with a gun. And I was like, yeah. way to go, Maud. You knew a creep was following you. <laughs> he asks if she always showers with a gun. She goes, well, I do today. Um <laughs> And uh, she's got the drop on Bond. She gets her robe on and comes around the corner. And then Bond knocks the gun out of her hand. And this is where we get the most un-Roger Moore Bond moment. Yeah. Uh, so the producers really wanted uh, Bond to act like the original character and Sean Connery's Bond in this scene. And uh, so Bond interrogates Maude. He slaps her. Um and ends up turning her effectively as an asset to do what he needs her to do. And Roger Moore hated this scene. Yeah. Uh, he he walked off of filming it and went over to the producers and said, um, I'm never doing that again. Um, <laughs> it's it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And that's very endearing. I, God rest his soul. Uh, Roger Moore... He, he could be as goofy and as much of a cat as any man at that time. Right. But he seemed to be, he seemed to be a little bit more tasteful in his handling yeah. of, of things. Yeah. He didn't believe in beating women to make them do what you, he wanted them to do. <laughs> uh, actually interesting story. There is, uh, there are reports from, I believe a police report where one of Roger Moore's wives actually beat him. Oh, goodness. Yes. Like, <laughs> beat him up. Um, he just, he he wasn't into it. Yeah. All right. So, back to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, women beating aside. Uh, <laughs> Connery, keep your hands off of my Bond movies. Roger Moore's doing such a, a clean-up job. Just keep your hands off these. <laughs> so, they go to the Bottoms Up Club, uh, which is a Chinese strip club apparently was a real strip club. Uh, it's also the first time that we go to a strip club in the James Bond movies. Um, and we're there for all of 30 seconds, just long enough to see uh, Scaramanga's upcoming victim and be introduced to the Chinese agent, who I never quite get his name, who is voiced by both the actor portraying him and the dub artist, depending on the scene that they're in. He goes back yeah, and forth weird. several times. that was weird. His voice times. changes a lot. So, uh, during the scene, uh, Scaramanga, uh, sleeps with Maud. Uh, we come to find, we found out from Maud that, uh, Scaramanga always, uh, has to have sex before he goes in for the kill. Uh, the lyric about that is in the song. It's very easy to find. I'll let you listen to it. <laughs> um, but, uh. As Bond goes to the club to kind of suss out where Scaramanga is, Scaramanga shoots uh, the man that they're after over Bond's shoulder uh, and then uh, immediately leaves and goes and harasses, uh, sexually harasses Maude with the golden gun, which is really weird and creepy. Yeah, um, that made me feel, I felt weird watching that part. I was like, ugh. It's okay. If you watch Maude Adams' eyes, she looks uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it made me feel weird because you could tell she was like not having that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Bond is taken captive by the Chinese agent who appears to be Hong Kong police, but surprise, nope, he's intelligence. 
Um, he's delivered to MI6 at the half-sunken ship in the middle of the harbor that was conveniently set up earlier. Uh, and the weird thing about the scene is absolutely all of their operation has moved to Hong Kong. Yeah. So Q's there, <laughs> Money Penny's there, M's there, just everybody just picked up, moved their office over to this Hong Kong. This is not realistic in Hey, in this movie, anything, realistic. anything could happen. If yeah. Bond came up and he was like, yes, I'm a trained astronaut. I'd be like, yes, okay. sir, James Bond, <laughs> I'm, I'm in. This felt like an exercise in yes and, and I was down for okay. it. Um, so at this point, we find out that uh, Gibson, the man who was assassinated, was the actual target. Uh, Bond was actually kind of set up. He, he was never supposed to be the target. Uh, Scaramanga just kind of wanted to show off for him. Hmm. Uh, we find out that the plans for the uh, the Solex agitator uh, were on Gibson's body and uh, they were stolen uh, during the assassination. We find out that High Fat, um, my favorite kind of yogurt, uh, hired uh, <laughs> Rodrigo Scaramanga uh, Bond, uh, at this point, whispers to Q that he wants something, which we'll find out what it is in approximately five minutes. Um, we find out that High Fat is in Bangkok, Thailand. Um, and the Chinese agent's like, hey man, um, this is a, a heavily guarded situation. We don't want to go in there. Bond just strolls in, just waltzes right in. Yeah. Uh, he sees a girl skinny dipping. Uh, her name is Chu Mi. Yeah. yeah. High fat and chewy. Yeah. Who comes up with these names? Horny people. Just <laughs> horny, horny people. Uh, at this point, as Bond is disrobing to supposedly skinny dip with Chumi, um, we high fat walks around the corner. What is the meaning of this? And he sees the fake nipple, and it's like, ah, Bond's trying to fake, fake his way in to act like Scaramanga, and. Uh, Bond sets up a dinner date with uh, High Fat and drives away, and he looks very satisfied with himself as he throws away his <laughs> fake nipple as he drives away. And we zoom back up to the hideaway, and Scaramanga's up there just smiling. And uh, High Fat goes up, and he's like, I would have liked to have just killed him. And he's like, oh, nonsense. Uh, with no, no sense in not being civil. And Scaramanga, you know, if he wasn't a psychopath, might just be the nicest guy. <laughs> uh I mean, Dr. No, Scaramanga, maybe James Bond's the problem. Maybe. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Bond uh, comes back for dinner. Again, I put my note here, the agent's voice keeps changing. Mm -hmm. um, but Bond fights a sumo wrestler or two uh, that earlier were statues and just hyper wedgies him. Yeah. Like, he grabs this guy's, like, the tie for the for the wrap and just cranks it Ugh. and it just it looks painful uh at this point Nick knack uh pretending to be a little devil or cupid i'm not sure he looks like a little baby um <laughs> just runs up behind bond and knocks him out with like a trident <laughs> he's about to kill him uh when he gets waved off um Bond wakes up and he's just he's just being massaged uh, massaged by beautiful ladies, um, and they tie a gi around him and he's like, oh, this is 
it's like a massage parlor and then the walls kind of open up and he sees no i'm at a i'm at a karate class that's apparently the like the beginners adult beginners karate class because a guy gets up and does just the slowest version of Saison, which is a kata you learn as a brown belt in Wataru karate, but he just, it is so slow. He had to be like a producer's nephew or something uh-huh. because there is no way, because right before this guy gets out, there are people knife fighting to the death. Yeah. And it's an impressive knife fighting display. They're using real metal blades. And then this guy gets up and does the slowest kata. So when Roger Moore walks up, and beats the ever-loving stuffing out of this white belt, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm okay with it. Any other time, I wouldn't be okay with this abuse. This guy had it coming. This guy decided to do his kata so slow, so slow. I have no problem with Bond just being an absolute jerk. And all Bond did was like, just like palm to the face, wasn't it? To oh, knock him over? Oh, he puts like, him on his butt. Yeah. Um, but at this point, uh, the the actual black belt in the class is like, okay, we all know that Ronnie's a little special. We we know that <laughs> we know that he wanted to get up and do his kata in front of everybody. And okay, we were humoring him. All right, Bond, you didn't have to knock down the slow kid in class. <laughs> And the black belt just hands Bond his butt. Yeah. And Bond does what any smart person does when faced with someone who knows what knows what they're doing better than you do. He runs away, which is the first smart thing that Bond has done in this film. And as he's running out of the building, uh, the Chinese agent and his two nieces that were there earlier uh, are just conveniently in place. Fun fact. Uh, I missed the scene where they're introduced. Uh, the Chinese agent is driving Bond to the place, and he's like, uh, I've got to drop off my nieces after I uh-huh. drop you off. So his two nieces are speaking two different languages in the car. They are not speaking the same language to Bond when they say hello. Oh. Uh, one, I believe, is Thai, and the other is speaking Cantonese Mandarin. Interesting. Uh, so two very, very different languages spoken by these two uh <laughs> these two nieces i found that interesting yeah uh but the uh the schoolgirls uh just proceed to beat the fire out of the henchmen and i'm just way to go girls way to go girl you, power you are so much better than slow donnie uh, <laughs> and uh as they're making their getaway uh the agent and the two nieces are so just pumped up and ready to go they drive off without bond yeah um uh, literally leaving him in their dust. And the girl's saying, wait, he's not with us. So Bond does what Bond does whenever he's stuck in a hard position. He steals stuff. And he steals a boat. uh, And he proceeds to use a line that I can only imagine when they were in the writer's room, just copious amounts of cocaine were being snorted (laughs) when they said, this is a good line for this scene. Uh, He goes, looks like a Mexican screw-off. I miss that. It's okay. You were better off. It's a bad line. <laughs> it is a terrible line. How it made it for past the first draft. How Roger Moore didn't roll his eyes on camera <laughs> as he said it. I do not understand. There's so many better quips in that moment. Yeah. That anyone could come up with. That's what made it into the film. Ugh. Mm-hmm. 
so at this point, uh, we uh, go around. Uh, there's uh, a young man making the rounds on the river, trying to sell his wooden elephant. Uh, we meet uh, the ever-indomitable uh, J.W. Pepper, who's uh, on vacation in Thailand, of all places, uh, because this racist man just, uh, yeah, is terrible. And, and you learn that his wife is the boss. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um and yeah. he just he keeps he keeps calling all the people around pointy heads and you're just like jw i hope you die in a fire <laughs> uh so bond's uh motor it's just not up to snuff the kid selling the elephant comes on board and he goes hey i said this to you for so much and and bond goes if you i will i'll pay whatever you want if you can just fix this engine and so kid cranks up the throttle and Bond kicks him into the water. And this is moment number two that Roger Moore was like, I didn't like that. Yeah. Uh, so apparently he was, uh, at the time, the spokesperson for, I believe it was UNICEF. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the behest of uh, Audrey Hepburn. And he was like, he, he, it, he filmed it and immediately felt regret. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I can't believe we did that. And so uh, in the movie, it's played off for laughs and, and it's okay. But again, Roger Moore just bringing as much class as James Bond allows, which isn't much. But my goodness. Uh, J.W. Pepper kind of recognizes Bond, but kind of doesn't. And so... Uh, he goes about his vacation in Thailand. Again, I'm trying to figure out, other than his Democrat wife just being like, oh, I, I've always wanted to go to Thailand. I cannot picture for the life of me why this racist sheriff is in Redneck, like. Oh, terrible. Um, <laughs> it's okay. He won't pop up again in James Bond. He will, however, pop up again in the Superman movies with Christopher Reeve. Now, is he the same person in that? He is the exact same character. Same name and everything? J.W.? Yes. Oh, my. Yes. Same character. <laughs> James Bond movies and... Superman. And Superman, the Christ- Christopher Reeve films, are in the same universe. Nice. Uh, they actually share a writer uh, in Tom Mankiewicz, uh, who's not a great writer. Um, <laughs> I said it. You- <laughs> Mankwood's family, I don't have any money. Just know that I'm not as successful as old Tom. Anyhow, <laughs> High Fat goes and he confronts Garamanga about uh, Bond getting away uh, and gives him the Solex agitator. Uh, Scaramanga, using the objects uh, that he always carries around with him, uh, uses makes the golden gun and kills High Fat. And apparently in the criminal underworld, there's a um, finder's keepers rule. That if you murder someone, you get their stuff. Huh. So he literally shoots High Fat in the head. His people run in and he's like, no, it's okay. I'm in charge now. And they're like, oh, oh all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at this point, uh, we go to a night scene where Bond is at dinner with uh, Goodnight. And he is sexually harassing her, uh, as all good uh, 1970s superiors do. Uh, they're served some foo yuck wine and uh, we're supposed to laugh because <laughs> man those Asian people are backwards they're just you know better at healthcare and health in general and oh, 
who knows? Anyhow, they start to sleep together. Uh, and uh, he, I think this is the second time that they've slept together. They talk like they've got a history. Um, Bond says, why did you say yes after saying no? And she says, I'm weak. Uh, because girls, am I right? Uh. Yeah, ugh, is right. Maud Adams shows up. And she tells Bond that she wants Scaramanga dead. She offers herself up uh, as, like, a piece of meat. Uh, Bond wants the Solex agitator, but he'll take Maude. Uh, he does this while Goodnight is in the closet. He puts her there. Yes. After, when Maude goes to the bathroom to get ready. for. After like, he hid her, her under the blankets. Yeah, he hid her. <laughs> and so then he hides her in the closet until he's yeah. done with the other one. Then he'll come back. Ugh. Messed up. James Bond hates women. Anyhow, <laughs> till we get to Daniel Craig, who loves women, uh, until he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, Maude Adams returns to Scaramanga, who uh, is is trying to uh, seduce her, and she is having none of it, and Scaramanga doesn't like that. We cut to the next day, where Bond is supposed to meet uh, Maude at a kickbox match. Maude is there, but she is dead. And uh, he doesn't realize that at first. No, he's, he's like he, talking to her. He's trying to talk to her, and then he sees the bullet wound. And uh, making the most of the situation, he begins searching the purse. Scaramanga and Knickknack walk up, hold Bond up at gunpoint, and say, I wouldn't look there. We already checked it. Uh, and uh, at this point, we see that the Solex agitator apparently got knocked out of the purse and is on the floor. So Bond sneaks it into a popcorn thing and hands it off to. Uh, the Chinese agent who hands it off to Goodnight. And Goodnight, just proving herself because the writers have as low an opinion of her as anyone in the world does, uh, just useless. Just takes 20 minutes to put a tracking device on Scaramanga's car and immediately gets caught. (laughs) Uh, At this point, Bond uh, goes to find a... Let's see here. I've got it written somewhere. It's a matador, uh, American matador company. Uh, apparently an old, uh, looks like muscle car you could buy. Uh, and we get a car chase throughout Thailand. Uh, <laughs> we get a pretty impressive car yeah. chase, uh, until they are separated by a river. And here's where the movie has one of the coolest things and one of the worst things. Yes simultaneously so this film contains the first car stunt done mapped out with a computer the driver sets himself up he's going to do a corkscrew jump over this river and he is going to land the car upright Mm -hmm. and he has to be suspended in the center of the car in order to do this makes the jump makes the jump in the first take makes it so perfectly that Cubby Broccoli walks over, hands him a $100 bill and goes, hey, that was perfect. Can you do it again, but not as perfect? And the driver just looks him in the eye and goes, no. (laughs) So this beautiful scene, just perfect shot happens. And it's done with a slide whistle. Yeah, I'm like, that's one of those scenes that you need no music. You just need the intensity of the scene. The music cuts out. And yeah. you have, Woo-hoo! yes, 
It is absolutely terrible. Imagine, yeah. imagine the best stunt and the best action movie you've seen done with a slide whistle. It takes away any and all tension. It takes away any and all accomplishment. It immediately just throw it out. Throw the stunt out. It means nothing now because you did it with a slide whistle. Yeah. Ugh. Even even John Barry was like, yeah, we shouldn't have done that. I mean, maybe they should just go in and take it out now. You know, now that they regret it. Or no, they're not. It. They're not George Lucas. They're not going to remake this movie fifteen times to get <laughs> new money. Anyhow, Scaramanga turns his car into a plane. Not really. It's just in the movie. Um, and uh, Bond and JW are arrested while Scaramanga makes his escape. Uh, so fun, uh, fun note here. Uh, they practically put uh, the wings and jet engine on top of the car, uh, did a bunch of cuts, and then you see an RC control flying car. Oh, okay. That's not a real flying car. <laughs> um, they do a lot of stuff practically, and that is a practical effect. It's just not a real flying right. car. Um, that humans drive uh, from inside. Right. <laughs> Uh, at this point, we find out that Goodnight has been located, but we will get back to that after a short break. And so is Bond flying on a really cool looking plane uh, over to the James Bond Island. Uh, so this island uh, over in the South Pacific uh, was not a big draw at all. And then this movie came out and it became a huge tourist spot. Yeah. Um, so Scaramanga is apparently working with the Chinese government, uh, apparently, as Bond <laughs> flies in. Uh, and uh, ask, they ask if they want Bond shot down. He says, no, he'll be coming to stay. Uh, Knickknack and Scaramanga welcome Bond to the island. Uh, Scaramanga, uh, Knickknack walks out with a bottle of champagne. Scaramanga shoots off the cork because <laughs> he's just a messed up dude. And they seem just super excited to have guests. <laughs> I mean, if you lived out in a deserted island, you'd be happy someone came to visit, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, even if they were there to kill you. Um, <laughs> we find out that the island is basically a solar energy factory, um, complete with a solar energy gun uh, that Scaramanga use, uh, uses to blow up Bond's plane. I like to think that this was kind of a, a macro aggression after Bond was mansplaining everything about solar power to Scaramanga, and he was just tired of hearing about it. Um, Good night enters uh, as they're sitting down to dinner in a bikini. Uh, Scaramanga utters the story reason why this particular uh, female interest is uh, in a bikini. I love a woman in a bikini. No concealed weapons. And it's... I guess that makes more sense than all the other movies where the, by the end of the movie they're all in a bikini. Uh, for no apparent reason. Oh, it's, it's a perfectly reasonable reason. <laughs> it's objectification. We, <laughs> we want these women to be objects for us. Anyhow... Uh, Scaramanga likes to think of Bond as an equal. Um, 
he he compares the two of them favorably and Bond is having none of it and then he reacts like a good psychopath uh, when he's spurned by Bond and challenges Bond to a duel to the death <laughs> uh, Bond accepts because why not uh, I mean that's why he came he's like well I, I was going to kill you in your sleep but yeah I'll do it while you're awake uh as Bond is preparing to uh, duel Scaramanga, Nicknack uh, tells Bond, Hey, uh, I want Scaramanga dead as anything. If he dies, I get everything. And Bond looks at him quizzically and goes, uh, Okay. Um, they uh, have a duel throughout uh, Walt Disney's Fun House that he apparently built after Disney World, uh, or Disneyland, pardon me. Uh, Disney World is where he went and had his head frozen. Um, uh, we find out during the scene that Goodnight is just a complete dumb dumb. Uh, backs into uh, Jesse, uh, I don't know, the first baseman for uh, the Atlanta Braves in the 1980s. Uh, and uh, just proceeds to blow up the island. Bond gets the agitator out, the island explodes. Um, during the scene, uh, Britt Eklund actually injures her knee. You can see where she falls yes. and busts her knee. Um, they escape on a sailboat, like an old-fashioned pirate sailboat. Not not a not a modern boat. Like not a fast-moving, it's just a... No. Uh, Bond and Goodnight start canoodling, and uh, <laughs> Nick Knack uh, comes in from the rafters and just is straight-up going to attempt to murder them. He's really upset about them blowing up the island. Uh, and then it's uh, Mono a Midget and uh, Bond faces down Knickknack and just absolutely humiliates him and stuffs him in a suitcase. Yeah. Uh, and then it's insinuated that he murders Knickknack until uh, they zoom outside and you see that he's strung up from the rigging. Yeah, he's um, in like a rope basket. He's in a, he's in a bird cage. A bird cage. Uh, and Bond and Goodnight finally think they're alone uh, to have sex, and M calls, and uh, they proceed to have sex while M listens. <laughs> the film ends with poor Knickknack up in the birdcage alone as they sail away. And you're like, man, I just feel bad for Knickknack. <laughs> yeah. All he wanted was the island. <laughs> Uh, I think Knickknack might be my favorite character. I'm like, he's cute in a like a little child kind of way. So there's something about his features that. So Herve Viachayas, uh, and I've said it five different ways now, uh, actually was straight up during this time. He was heavy into drugs, <laughs> alcohol, and women. Nice. And he loved all three. Um, so much so that uh, he had a bunch of health. Uh, complications that came about because of his condition and uh, he ended up I'm trying to remember if if he died because of the health complications the drugs uh, or suicide I'm not sure which of those it was but he lived hard right up until the end yeah uh, every time like it showed him like especially when he was small I'm like it's like a child that's trying to be a man mm -hmm. but you know it's he has that look of an endearing four-year-old that's like proud of himself every time I you showed him. You are really not helping. <laughs> I know it. This poor man. Poor Anyhow, man. 
Anyhow, uh, shortly after this, he got Fantasy Island uh, along with Ricardo Montalban uh, and and enjoyed a great deal of success and the drugs, women, and alcohol that went with it. Um, but uh, this movie straight up uh, about ended James Bond as a film franchise, yeah. at least from MGM uh, and United Artists. And it had this movie ended the franchise uh Kevin McClory, who wrote Thunderball with Ian Fleming, he would have made his own James Bond movies, and we would have gotten a very different product going forward. Thankfully, though, that's not what happened. Uh, Thankfully, uh, our next film, which comes three years later, uh, actually comes out the exact same summer as Star Wars, um, is just more Bond. It's fantastic. It actually has one of the greatest openings of a James Bond film ever. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. I, I can't wait till next week to talk about it. Um, but it's, uh, it's interesting that this was the one that did James Bond in and not Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. Uh, because Diamonds Are Forever was so rough. The fact that I still... the fact that that movie is viewed so favorably just hurts me (laughs) hurts me so badly yeah just terrible this one was so much fun it's it's bonkers it is off the wall there is stuff in this that should not be in it uh but it is so much fun yeah I wonder, like, to be in the audience the first time, you know, when this first comes out and you get to the part where the car does the jump Mm -hmm. and you have that whistle. I just wonder what, like, the audience reaction was. Like, if it was a thing where it just kind of were like, this is cool, and then you have that sound effect. And I wonder, did they laugh at it? Did they take them out of it? Did it... How did it affect the original audience? I don't know. That's that's that's, a curiosity. It's hard to tell because audiences are always in different places with with different films. Um, An interesting fact is this is is the time in history where James Bond films have moved from when the the Connery films came out. They were up there and considered A-tier films. Uh, they They were considered right up there with... Things like North by Northwest, uh, uh, other other contemporary films that are coming out at the time, uh, uh, The Great Escape, things like that. We get to the Roger Moore films, and the name, the Bond name, as far as films has has now become like a B and C tier. People go see him; they go see him in droves, mm-hmm. but they're they're not the A movie. The, This year that uh, The Man with the Golden Gun comes out, The Godfather Part 2 comes out. The second part of one of the greatest films in history comes out. Uh, The the French Connection comes out. Uh, The Conversation comes out. Multiple films that also in themselves, if you you pay attention to those films, show where society is. consciously it's not too far off from where we are right now actually it's it's very uh cynical it's very um very dark yeah. uh in your in your view of how the world is and it comes out in our cinema uh james bond is escapist fantasy it's what people are wanting to watch to 
to not think that the world is terrible. Um, but at the same time, everyone's going to acknowledge, even at the time, because as I said, you have these fantastic movies coming out. They're like, no, it's not the best movie around. Yeah. It's kind of how we would view Fast and Furious. Or, yeah, it's fun and yeah. I don't go and see Hobbs and Shaw because I want to be challenged intellectually. Right. I don't go to see the newest filmmaking techniques. I go because it's a roller coaster. Right. Um, and I know that I'm going to get a ridiculous moment where Dwayne Johnson takes off his shirt and I go, oh my gosh, <laughs> people can do that. That's why I go. That's why I go and see a Fast and Furious movie. I don't. I don't go because I want to to see what is great about movies. Yeah. For that, I go to see a Godfather or uh, moving to more modern takes. I, I would go to see um, something by Denis Villeneuve. I would go to see uh, Blade Runner 2049 or The Arrival or um, uh, Sicario, the first one. The second one was more action, but I make my point. It's, yeah. it's, it's a higher class of cinema and James Bond up until we get to Daniel Craig is now in this kind of B and C tier of movie making where it is viewed as a lesser franchise and that's that uh, from from the standpoint of, of looking at it um, initially it was something to be aspired to it was the gold standard so much so that uh, there's a lot of issues that happen with producers at this time. And I think uh, Harry Saltman leaving at this time is, is exemplary of this. They're not quite sure what it is that makes Bond special. So much so that a young Steven Spielberg approaches the producers twice mm -hmm. to direct a James Bond film and is rejected twice. <laughs> wow. Steven Spielberg, who in three short years when the next James Bond movie comes out, and it's really good, don't get me wrong, it is nowhere near the caliber of the movie that Steven Spielberg makes that same year, Jaws. At some point, we're gonna watch it and do a favorite things about it, but <laughs> Jaws comes out that year, and to this day is viewed as one of the most perfect summer blockbusters. It actually establishes the summer blockbuster as a thing. Between that and Star Wars, they come out the same year at summertime, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And then you have, as a distant third, James Bond in The Spy Who Loved Me, which is a great, great movie, but it's nowhere near those other two. Yeah. Man, they kind of lost a... They lost an opportunity. <laughs> opportunity. And even when we get to uh, the Timothy Dalton films in 1987 and 1989, in uh, The Living Daylights and License to Kill, you have movies that are trying to emulate Raiders of the Lost Ark, and uh, and even films like uh, Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, <laughs> and aren't doing it as well. Yeah, that's funny. I'm sad. It is, but <laughs> at the same time, the Bond movies make that their thing. Yeah. They they adopt they adopt what they become. In the same way that Fast and Furious has done the same thing. If you ever watch the original Fast and Furious movie, it is a bad movie, <laughs> but it is straight up a, it is, they ripped the script for Point Break out of this binder that held Point Break, uh -huh. and they stapled it into a binder that <laughs> said Fast and Furious. <laughs> yeah. And it is the exact same movie. Uh, 
and it starts out and they try to be serious it's not right uh and then the second movie goes bananas yeah and then they start bringing it home and and adding some centralized things that give it some identity of its own but bond does the exact same thing yeah. that's why in the last movie it was effectively a black exploitation movie this movie it was like all right we're gonna go to asia we're gonna see what happens there the next movie uh i'm trying to think we're gonna go all over the place in the next movie we're gonna go to egypt we're gonna go underwater we're gonna go all over the place yeah we're gonna have a car that turns into a submarine <laughs> nice yes uh right. actually you are going to get in this film uh you're gonna get a view at the idea behind the original tesla oh cool Yes, I'll talk more about that next week when we come back to talk about The Spy Who Loved Me on Favorite Things. We hope you'll come back. Bye.